in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for the people that are gathered here today, Lord, to worship you, to hear from your word, Father. God, we thank you for every soldier that's in this house. God, we thank you for every agent of peace and reconciliation that's in this place, oh God. God, the word, oh God, that we proclaim today, God, let it come from your presence, your God, your throne. God, you speak and encourage, confront, provoke your people this morning. I have listened to the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So, if you could turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. And um, I wrote a note in my sermons, my sermon this morning, uh, to remind myself to say this very important point. Uh, over four years ago, uh, me and my wife were sent by my mother-in-law, my, my mother in the gospel, my spiritual mother, and he writes through the work that you're seeing here this morning. She went to be with Christ yesterday. And so today, we dedicate this first movement of worship to her. Amen. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a, within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Which in the Hebrew, Moses means to be drawn out. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses had hid his face because he's afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. <coughs> and now the cry of the Israelites has teached me, has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God's word for God's people. Amen. <clears throat> this morning, I want to mess with you a little bit about prayer. I figured prayer would be a good topic to start this uh, in connection to uh, what we feel like God has called us to do in this city. And I know it seems like, you know, when you say prayer, like, yeah, we know about prayer, God. Yeah, preacher, we know about prayer. But today, I hope to uh, disturb you a little bit about prayer. I hope to provoke you. I hope to shake you up a little bit. about prayer. Now, I just want to off, off, off get to say that normally when we talk about prayer, what do we mean by that? Normally we say prayer is talking to God. God, or prayer is communicating in some way with God. <coughs> some people uh, some people define prayer as simply asking God for things. Asking God for things. Uh, some people will say prayer is simply interceding for other people. If you have any church experience, intercession is praying on behalf of other people. But today I want to suggest to you that prayer is exposure to something. Prayer is exposure to something. When you come in contact and you are exposed to radiation, something happens to you. When you are exposed to some kind of trauma in your life, something happens inside of you. There are some things that we are exposed to that have a profound effect upon the inside of us. It could be something joyful. It could be the birth of a child. It could be, you know, the loss of a loved one. It could be you won your first victory. It could be you had a great tragedy, but it does something on the inside of you when you're exposed to something. And so we begin our text this morning with this fugitive. You're not a prophet yet, right? This fugitive on the run. This man is a criminal. He has murdered somebody and has been on the run for 40 years. And before that, he worked for the man. <laughs> he worked for Egypt. He worked for Pharaoh's house. He was one of the oppressors. He was a prince of Egypt. We're talking about Moses now. 
So here's this man. Now we just think of Moses, the dude with the Ten Commandments on top of a mountain, giving the Ten Commandments. He met God and all that. But up until this moment in his story, he was an oppressor, a dominator, and a fugitive, and a murderer. And in the larger sense of the story, we know the story. What has happened up to this point, 400 years earlier, Israel became slaves to Egypt in Pharaoh's house. God even prophesied this to Abraham that his descendants would become enslaved to a, a pagan people, a, a Gentile nation, for several centuries. And so what's happened is this man who has been on the run, this man who's been a fugitive felon, God has also uh, drawn him to this place, to this burning bush. At the same time, God has heard other things. God has heard the cries of the oppressed. So like God, and this is one of the things I, I love about the great men and women of Scripture, there's no worship service. Nobody's getting primed up to experience God, to be exposed to the divine presence here. Moses is minding his own business. Matter of fact, he's doing business as usual. He's just going about his day, leading the flock up the mountain. And he comes upon a strange sight, and he sees God in the bush. And like God does within the story, the biblical story, one of the things that we find is, is that God is good about calling out names. It's, it's interesting. He never like, in these passages like this, in these great moments when uh, men and women of God encounter God, God doesn't whip out like a checklist of things that they got to adhere to before they get to join in with what God is doing. He just calls them by his name. So just know this, though, that you are in trouble when God calls your name. <laughs> so God's got this fugitive in his hands, but he's also got a people that are oppressed, enslaved, crying out to him. This is the thing about God, that, you know, in this passage about prayer, the people of God have been in slavery and in bondage for 400 years. Crying out. God says, now I have heard their cries. And so he draws Moses to the bush. And I love what he says. He says, hey man, you know, take your shoes off. For you're on holy ground. And for our philosophers, our theologians in the house, Moses is experiencing a theophany. A God manifestation. A God appearance. And God in response to him being present says, kick your shoes off. Well, this is holy ground. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is that in the ancient world of Moses, when one was in a sacred place, when one was in a place where God was thought to be a dwelling there, God, God's presence was manifested there, it was considered holy ground where you were standing. And so you would take off your shoes in reverence and respect to God's presence. But also, Paradoxically so, also in the ancient world, when you went into somebody's house, home, or dwelling, 
you would kick off your shoes to say that I'm a part of the family. So Moses wanted the same time as saying that one, God, I reference you, God, I, 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 I'm in awe of you, I'm tripping out, I'm blown away, I'm disturbed by your presence, but at the same time, God, you're telling me that I should be familiar with you. Disturbed, yet familiar. Scared and in awe, yet familiar, yet connected to. And so Moses tells, God tells Moses, Man, kick off your shoes. Now, this right here is a prayer-filled moment here. This moment right here is Moses engaging God and about to engage in a conversation with Yahweh, with God. And the conversation, needless to say, is interesting. He says, verse 9, excuse me, verse 7. <clears throat> the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their drivers, oppressors, and are concerned about their suffering. So I want to draw your attention to this. So Moses begins to engage God. God initiates, Moses engaged. And one of the things that we notice is before God gives uh, Moses his marching orders, he says this, God says, I've observed their misery. I have heard their cry. I have known their suffering. And then he says, later on he says, I have decided in light of all that, what I've seen, what I've heard, and what I've known, I've decided to come down. And then he says to Moses, he says, in light of that, I have seen, I've heard, i felt, I know, I am, I'm disturbed myself, I understand, I have deep compassion for, I have felt their pain, and in light of that, God says, I'm coming down, and in me coming down, and a part of me coming down to Egypt, I'm sending you. Now, this is one of the things about prayer I find to be intriguing, uh, because oftentimes we're taught in North American culture that Prayer is simply the acquisition of something from God. We've been profoundly socialized to be consumers, even in our religious language. So we think prayer is simply petitioning. We're just getting stuff from God. God is my sugar daddy. <laughs> but what we see here is something profound about the exchange of prayer and engaging with God. See, when God hears cries, when God hears intercession, when God hears engagement, when you begin to be in the presence of God, God responds by sending you. So you've been praying for something. You've been praying for your community. You've been praying for your family. 
But see, what prayer does is form you and shape you into the answer to your own prayers. And in prayer, you become the answer to the prayer. And we know Moses cares a little bit because the reason why he was a fugitive on the run was why. He saw one of his brothers in arm, one of his fellow Hebrew brothers being brutally, violently uh, uh, brutalized by an Egyptian a taskmaster. And what does Moses do? He goes Black Panther style on him, right? He actually goes, take the dude out. The cops coming in the neighborhood, killing our own. And what does Moses do? He says, uh -uh. I'm taking him out. So we know that Moses, even though he was a prince in the house of Pharaoh, even though he was a fugitive on the road, we know that he cared about his people. And yet, here he is on the backside of the mountain. Forty years later, according to the story, forty years—he's forty years old when the story begins. It's forty years later. He now encounters God with this very profound uh, 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 message or encounter with God. Now he's about to enter into another forty years of delivering his people out of slavery. And let's say something real quick. One, you know, as people, we have different seasons in our lives, right? You know, people that study this kind of thing, they're talking about first half life and second half life, right? There's a season when we're young and we have no clue. We're just doing things, right? We're trying to figure out who we are in the world and what our purpose is. Or we're just trying to have fun. We're just trying to enjoy all the things that's around us, right? We're just doing our thing. You know, Moses was enjoying himself in the palace, doing his thing. Crisis moment. Then he acts, and then he gets in trouble. Second half, he ends up on the backside of the mountain in Midian, and he just has a career now. He just has a job. And that's that other half of life, right? We begin to do the things that we're responsible for. We begin to find our careers. We begin to live our lives to make sure that we get paid so we can eat, so we can pay our bills and take care of our children, right? So this is Moses, right? He's in that second season of his life. Theophany happens. Now he enters into a new season. It's a season of purpose. A season of adventure, a season of a calling into a new season of a new journey, if you will. But it's not just for him and his family now. Right? It's a new season that's called that he's been called into for other folks. For others. Let me move on. So God hears the cries. God hears the prayers of the oppressed. And what does God do? God responds by sending people into the community. So Moses encounters the presence. So what happens here? Moses is being made into the answer to the cries of the oppressed. He is exposed to 
God's intention. Moses is exposed to God's intention. What would that be like? Think about that for a moment. What does it mean to say that I have been exposed to God's divine intention for myself and for the community that's around me? What does that even look like? What does it mean to taste and know and discern what God desires for myself and for the community that is around me? So prayer is exposure. That's why if you want to be exposed by God's intent, to God's intent, if you want to be exposed to God's will, if you don't want to be exposed to God's desire and intention for yourself and for the community, do not pray. Why? Don't pray. You risk exposure. So I tell folks who struggle with God, who struggle with this faith, I tell them, you know, and if you got a really cogent, coherent argument to get them to believe what you believe, no, I said, the first thing I might want to tell them is, let's pray together. Because in prayer, you become exposed to God, the divine intent of the Creator. And when you are exposed to God's divine intention, it does something to you on the inside. Look at Moses. Moses is a fugitive. Moses is on the run. Moses is minding his own business. Moses is like, yo, I got my 401k. I got my wife, my kids. I'm tending this flock. I'm just doing my job. I'm clocked in for the day. But then he comes to the bush on fire and he meets God and he runs into God's intention. What is God's intention? God's intention is to free those who have been oppressed by the Egyptians. And isn't it like God? God's intention is to free slaves out of oppression, to free the Hebrews out of Egyptian slavery. But he goes pick somebody who's going the other way. <laughs> Moses is running away from Egypt. Some of you are running away from God's divine intention. God goes by as a fugitive on the run. I've been there. Matter of fact, I came to Salisbury five years ago. I had no intention of doing any of this. Matter of fact, I was running from this stuff. Full speed. Came to Salisbury, it's a quaint little, quiet little town. <coughs> Met my wife. Man, I can, yeah, yeah. I can work, save up my vacation days. We go to Disney World. <laughs> we go around trips, the kids. Man, I'm good. And up to that point, that five years ago, I had been in ministry for like 15 years, pastoring, ministering around the country. And I was like, I'm done with this. I'm going back. 
I'm running the other way. The reason why I tell you that is because um, it didn't change for me until I went to Tony's mom's church. I got close to the fire again. I got close to and God in worship and in prayer. Very prayerful woman of God. And so uh, it was there. I was like, oh, God, you know, man, Tony was, you know, as a family connected with them. And, you know, I'm like, man, you know, Tony would tell you, like, man, you know, okay, one, two, five, three. <laughs> but what I'm telling you, that was a very deep moment for me personally because I began to worship again. I began to pray again. I began to seek God again. I began to engage God in prayer and contemplation and meditation. And there's something about when you begin to expose yourself to God's divine intention. You can't keep running the other way. When you get close to the fire, you will get burnt up. Your ego will get burnt up. So cries. Our community has been crying out. Our community has been singing prayers. Oh God, and I, I want to pray for y'all right now because there's something about God when God begins to honor the prayers of your ancestors. Some of y'all can escape that. There are prayers that were prayed, prayers that were prayed a generation ago, 400 years ago, and you are now put in a situation where. God is making you the answer to their prayers. You can't run from that. Oh, God bless you. (laughs) The prayers of your ancestors have found you. That's what God had to tell Moses. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Jacob. I was with your ancestors on that ship when they took them from Africa. I was with them in the field when they cried out at the master's will. I was with them in the streets when they were segregated and put here and put there in the only certain places they could go. I was with them when they were only allowed certain access to certain resources and political power in the community. But God has a way to say, all right, time's up. Your people have been praying for generations, for centuries. Now I'm making you the answer to their prayers. Scary, isn't it? Moses is like, man. Then like all of us, we'll talk about this at some later date. Moses comes up with excuses. I can't talk right. You know, a background check. You the background check guy? history. So God began to declare intention. So this. There's a quote I wanted to give you. The intervention depends on the disposition of the intervener. This is one of the reasons why prayer is so crucial because in prayer when you're exposed to God's Divine intention, it begins to shift your own consciousness. It begins to shift your own desires. It begins to shift your own intentions. When you get closer to God in contemplation and in meditation and in prayer, 
your intentions become slowly, progressively God's intention. That's why when, when Jesus is in the garden, when they come to arrest him, Jesus is praying, says God, and I love this because it shows you how human Jesus really was. He said, God, if it be your will, but you know, this, this is too heavy for me. Is there another way? Yeah. Check it for yourself, Matthew. At the end of Matthew, the end of this knockbitch, right? God, Jesus asked for a plan B. Right. Amen. But in the course of his pain, in the course of his agony, because at this point, his whole ministry, Jesus has become more attuned to the intention of his father. Then he says this, nevertheless, not my will, but I will be done. I dare you to pray. I double dog dare you. When you go home this week, I dare you to pray. Because in prayer, the way that God shifts our intention, when we begin to pray, we begin to see different. We begin to see ourselves different. We begin to see the world around us different. We begin to see our neighbors and our enemies in a different light. Moses went from an imagination of slavery and fugitive to an imagination of being an instrument of God to uh, an imagination and an understanding that God was calling him to be a mouthpiece for God. Prayer will do that. Engaging God will do that. You will go from an imagination of slavery, a slave imagination, into an imagination of availability and freedom. Moses knew how bad that Egypt was. The most powerful military, economic, political might in the ancient world. You can imagine Moses like, what? Go against them, God. Go against them. Do you know who they are? Matter of fact, who are you? Moses asked God, right? Now remember that. Who's, who do I say sent me into this, to Egypt? Well, God says, I am. And I love this because God doesn't really give a name per se. He says, I am that I am in the Hebrew, right? It literally means to, to be who I will be. I will be who you discover me to be. It just simply means I be. It is the articulation of breath and the very life that animates our being. So, so when God says uh, to Moses, in response to Moses' query, he says, who, you want to know who I am? I be. So God doesn't even give Moses his name. God gives Moses his status. Go take my status back to Pharaoh. Go tell Pharaoh what kind of person has sent you into uh, his presence. So, so Moses, in engaging God in this prayer-filled moment, his intention, his consciousness is shifted. He no longer is operating in a slave mentality. But he's beginning to understand that God is calling him and his people to freedom. So prayer is one way to exercise the slavery imagination in your own heart. Mm. 
see it all the time in this community. People are afraid to stand up to certain folk, afraid to talk to certain people. Y'all know what I'm saying. They might be watching right now. <laughs> but I dare you to pray. There's different kind of prayers. How do I know this works? How much temptation is here right now? Because y'all know my cause. Prayer ministry. About three years ago started. Out of that, people start becoming a part of this prayer ministry, walking the streets of Salisbury and East Festival. Y'all, y'all, some of you who participated in this. But I want you to notice the chronology in this place, what God is doing here. Out of that, people start participating in that and start getting energized. People start having conversations about history and slavery and oppression, the chamber. People begin to dream of ways to address and meet needs in their community. And some of this work has been going on before that. But imagine if God's people allowed themselves to be exposed to this intention to free people, to deliver people, in the midst of social inequity, in the midst of poverty, in the midst of, of violence, imagine if God's people uh, really began to expose themselves to God's intention to heal that situation. Imagine that. You're probably saying, man, we must ain't been praying. Mm-hmm. Moses prays and slaves are delivered. Jesus prays and humanity is delivered. You pray, your sin will be delivered. So prayer shifts the consciousness. It shifts the mindset. It shifts your imagination. And you literally become the instrument the vehicle, the vessel as an individual and whatever group that you're tied into. And in prayer, God will take away old language. God will give you new language in prayer. Jesus says in Mark 16, he says, uh, the whole the Great Commission piece, he says, and behold, it was speaking new tongues. Now, I've been a apostle by birthright, but I also mean, I think that means something else as well. When you begin to follow Christ in your community, you begin to use new language. So in prayer, you literally learn how to take off the old language and begin to take on new language of what God is doing. And the language expresses God's intention. Paul said in best Romans chapter 8, best moments when you experience yourself, your own groanings. And he says in Romans chapter 8, you don't even know how to pray sometimes. But the Holy Spirit will give you the language to pray as praying through you. 
And here's the thing about prayer that's so important, that is so powerful, that when you pray, your prayers are not the first step. You're actually praying after God has spoken. Your prayers are the second step. God prays, God speaks, God declares intention. And your prayers come on the heels of that intention. New language arises. 2011, me and Tony went on a prayer walk through Salisbury. And we went to that statue. on Innis Street of this creature people think is an angel but it's not it's a creature out of Greek mythology called fame who spread gossip among the gods to keep them at war and antagonism towards each other that's the statue in the heart of our city and this creature called fame fame it's holding up a Confederate soldier. Y'all seen what you've done, guys. And the name of that statue in the, in the Latin is Glory Invictus, which literally means glory to the victim, glory to the crushed. And so me and Tony was going to different parts of the city as we were dreaming together and praying and discerning where God was taking us with Mission House. We took pictures of these different sites. <clears throat> and we put it down. Months later, we would open that up, I began to pray over it, pray for our community, pray for our city, pray for our leaders, pray for our mothers and fathers, for our youth and our children, and the God said, study that. And that's when I discovered that Latin phrase, glory to the crushed. And I heard these words in prayer. I am mobilizing an army of love, an army of those that have been crushed by the spirit of religion, social, political forces in this community. These are the words that emerged out of our prayer time as we thought about this community. God says, I am mobilizing an army of love, an army of those that have been crushed by the spirit of religion. So you can imagine me But that was the beginning of that conversation. This led up inevitably to what you see here today, the beginning of things. The Bible says, despise not the day of small beginnings. And I want to declare to you by the Spirit of God, in the church, in the Protestant North American Christianity, we talk a whole lot about individuals becoming born again. Right? This is good. Jesus told Nicodemus this. But I want to declare to you prophetically this. We're entering into a city, I mean, uh, we're entering into a season in this country, in this society, where we're going to begin to see cities born again. So how is that even? I'm talking about institutions being called into account. From the political, from the economic, to the social, and the cultural. God's people are going to begin to hold these institutions into account and demand that they're reformed. Also this, People begin to become more, you, you begin to hear more and more and more about entrepreneurship. We hear it now. 
What you're going to hear people begin to say, we're taking back ownership of our own communities. We've let it go. I hear God say, I'm energizing that move. I'm in the midst of that. Cities will be born again. Institutions will be born again. So watch out, man. Watch out when God begins to respond to your prayers, in particular the prayers of your ancestors. Don't be shocked or surprised when you find yourself in the middle of a renaissance. Don't be shocked when you find yourself volunteering or playing some part in some kind of turnaround in this community. You just find yourself in it one day. Like, how did I get here? Somewhere along the way, I hope that is because you pray. Let's end in prayer. Father God, we thank you right now for the people of God. God, I thank you that uh, all our friends who are gathered here for our first uh, preview service, God, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, I pray, oh God, that as they leave here during the week, that they will become uh, desirous to be exposed by your intention. And Father, I actually dare them, God. Father, I dare them to come into your presence and be exposed to your redemptive will for their community. God, I thank you for every person that's here gathered, God, their heart, their desire to worship you, their desire to know, want to know you and want to do your will. God, I thank you for this ministry, for this place, this gathering of saints, God. We thank you for the mission, oh God, that you called us to, to mobilize this army of love throughout this community, oh God. To bring about kingdom of God movement in this place. God, we're not interested in just playing church, God. But God, we take serious the prayer that your son told us to pray. He said, this is how you ought to pray, God. You told us to your son to say, our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come on this, in this city, in this neighborhood, in this block, on earth, as it is in heaven. God teaches that prayer over and over again until it gets deep down, oh God, into our very souls, into our DNA, God. That we are those who really pray and expose to your goodness. Spirit of God, move in the lives and families of those who are gathered here today, God. God, provoke them, inspire them, oh God. God, pray for marriages right now, God, that are going through there may be some kind of brokenness, oh God, some kind of communication, God, that I pray, oh God, that you would heal and restore that. There's somebody who's given up on hope, oh God. They're like, we're going through all this, but nothing seems to ever change. That I pray, oh God, they'll find hope today, Father. And God, I just dare your people to truly pray. Amen. All right, so... <laughs> I've been tasked to give the announcements. Uh, 
thank each and every one of you for coming to worship with us today. Um, one of the things that uh, a part of our scheduling here, our preview service, this is initially will be a monthly gathering, uh, but throughout uh, the week there's always something happening with our community. Uh, there's different uh, opportunities for mission. An upcoming one, you have a flyer? Did you get a flyer this morning? Let's look at that real quick. Um, May uh, 16th, from 6 to 8 p.m., uh, there is a ministry called Soul Hope. Uh, it is a global ministry uh, that has connections across the country, and in particular, in Uganda, where there's children that have been, in certain villages, they've been afflicted with uh, uh, sand fleas that deteriorate and destroy the bottom of, of children's feet, and where they can barely walk in their community. And so, there were a group of Christians, a group of folk that went to these communities in Uganda, and they just listened and observed Say, so how can we help? How can we be a response? They begin to pray. How can we be a response to the need in this community? And so they came up with the idea was, suppose we got people that are in our network that would help us create shoes. Because a lot of the children in villages do not have shoes to protect their feet. And so what they do is they have uh, shoe-cutting parties throughout the country. Well, we ask people to bring their old cut-up jeans. And you cut your jeans up at, at this party to show you how to do it. You got, you got a shoe there? Okay, thank you, Tony. And this, this is crazy. This is fascinating, y'all. This, this blows me away. So, so uh, they take, when we do the shoe-cutting party, we sit there together and we take, you bring your old jeans up. There will be uh, instructions. Out on social media or through uh, email, and we cut we cut the jeans in different patterns, and we send the jeans, and we send a kit back to the folks at Soho, and they produce shoes for these kids. And uh, actually, they don't produce the actual community that's actually being afflicted actually produces the shoes, and they're part of the whole business process. So it's not just toxic charity where we're just giving stuff to folks, but it's a way to empower people to take ownership of their own cure in their own community. So I want to invite you out to that uh, shoe-cutting party on May 16th. And of course, uh, every Wednesday at me and Tony's house, our house, we host Bible Lab. Some of you may have heard about Bible Lab. Um, it's one of our mission labs, uh, one of our small groups. And our current study right now is called Families on Mission. We're going to get into specific strategies, specific practices that you and your family can um, uh, begin to do in your own household to become a mission on your block in your neighborhood. Big event coming up May 2nd, May Kids Fun Day. Uh, this is at Victory Mountain Camp. Uh, my family went a couple years ago. We had a blast. You know, we have a free uh, weekend there at May 2nd. Uh, there's fishing, there's canoeing, there's all kind of uh, uh, worship and music and good food, and it's free. <laughs> I love food. But we just had a blast. And it'd be great if some of you can join us into that. 
And of course, uh, please join us again for this worship gathering for our next preview service, uh, May 17th at 10.30 a.m. Amen, 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 Amen. 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 If y'all want to, you can fill out a connect card, even if it's just uh, you know, putting your contact information. Uh, if you don't have one, there should be one in the uh, seat near you. Um, on the back of that card, um, just let us know uh, any way we can connect with you um, so we can communicate with you for future events and uh, preview services. And we just thank you so much. I think you did a great job, Anthony. I'll be some kind of benediction, but I want to give you some advice. You're like, okay, Pastor, that was really complicated. Uh, too simple. Too simple, maybe too complicated. So, what's the next step here? I dare you to pray this prayer throughout the week. Go to Matthew chapter 6. I want you to learn, if you don't already, I want you to learn the Lord's Prayer. Write it down. And if you have to, use your own language. But I want you to listen also to what words come to you. I want you to journal those words and think about those words. And next time we come together, next time we see each other, I would love to hear what, what you saw, what you heard. Amen. Father, we thank you for these people. Now we pray that you go now in the presence of God and all his angels, in the presence of this community, in the presence of this world, in the presence of principalities and powers. And we dare you this week to expose yourself to God's intention. Now go and do these things. Amen. Amen.